today we are going to be focusing on communion and the Word of God. If you have your Bibles or your device, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to the book of Jude, one of the short letters in the New Testament. Jude was the Lord's half-brother. He had the same mom, but a different dad. And uh, he was writing on some very strong points of doctrine and closes his letter with one of the most beautiful doxologies ever written, full of hope and promise and relating to us the difference that Jesus makes. And Jude wrote this in verse 24, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all times, now, and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word. It speaks to us of truth. It is truth. It reveals who you are. And it helps us to know how to have a relationship with you. A relationship that would be impossible apart from the sacrifice of Jesus that we're remembering today at communion. So as we open this word together and as we remember you at this table, may you be honored as we gather together to remember the difference that Jesus makes. And we'll thank you, God, for all that you'll show us in, in your precious name. Amen. You know, mankind, despite all of its amazing wisdom and God-given abilities, is really quite fragile, really quite limited, really one-dimensional. For example, man cannot fly, not without help of the plane, of a helicopter or a glider, man cannot fly. Birds can fly, bugs can fly, bats can fly, but man on his own cannot fly. He's rather earthbound. Man cannot live in water. We can swim short distances, we can travel over water by boat or submersible, but we cannot long survive in water. Fish can live there, whales can live there, seals can live there, but people cannot live in water. Not without help. Man cannot live without help in the highest heights or the deepest depths. The air is too thin, the temperature is too cold, the pressure too great. Mountain goats and some sea creatures can live in those extremes, but mankind cannot. Not without help. They have to have clothing, they have to have covering, they have to have shelter, they have to have equipment, they have to have breathing devices. We are in a very narrow slice of creation where we can survive without help. Man is really rather limited. And that's especially important to remember when it comes to leaving planet Earth and having a hope of living for, with God forever in his eternal home. Not only are we powerless to save ourselves, but the fact is you wouldn't want to. Because the last place you'd want to be while still in your sins is in the presence of God. We could not survive an instant in his presence and the power of all that holiness. But in Jesus, all that changes. In Jesus, we discover that he's the one who makes the difference. The difference that the Lord's brother Jude was writing about and the difference we're remembering today in communion. Communion is our remembrance of the death of Jesus. It's a memorial. 
And we've said many times at communion, eating this meal will not make you a Christian. This will not get you saved. You won't get your sins forgiven. It won't earn you any grace. It won't get you into heaven. The only way to be saved from what sin has done to separate us from God is by faith coming into relationship with God, believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That he died on, our, and, uh, he died on a cross for our sins. He made our payment, was buried in a tomb. He rose again the third day. And he's alive. He conquered sin, death, and the grave. And he's offering hope, forgiveness, and eternal life to those who believe and receive him. Going to church, being religious, reading your Bible, taking communion, getting baptized are all good things. But they will not save you. Jesus is the Savior. But eating communion together, as Jesus asked, can bring us face to face again with the reality of our great need how Jesus has made the difference. Which is why this powerful doxology given by Jude is so full of hope and assurance and good news. For Jude said to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore, amen. So be it, let it be. None of that would be possible without the death of Jesus, which is why communion reminds us of the death of Jesus and the difference he makes in all of our lives when we believe. And what is that difference? That we who were once forbidden can now in Christ stand in his glorious presence with joy. Jude said, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. You see, without Jesus, being in God's presence is the last place you'd want to be. Do you remember the experience of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt? They were held in bondage for 400 years and God sent a deliverer in the person of Moses. But it would be God who would display his glory, majesty, power, and authority. And by his mighty hand, 600,000 men besides women and children and a mixed multitude of Egyptians, about a million and a half people, left with Moses at the head and the glory of God in front of them as they headed out into the wilderness on a journey to the promised land. A journey that should have taken 40 days took 40 years because the people rebelled. They refused to believe God and they kept straying from following him. And so God made a time when he would meet them on a mountain and he would remind them of his glory and his power and his majesty and his authority. They had been traveling for about 30 days and the Bible said that on the first day of the second month of their journey out of Egypt, God appeared to Moses and got the people prepared. And this is what God told Moses to tell the people in Exodus 19, verse 10. Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it, Whoever touches the mountain will be put to death. 
They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. God is saying, I am holy. You don't just wander into the presence of holiness. I'm coming down on this mountain, so they better not touch it. If they do, it's a death sentence. And they can only come by the way that I have made. So it tells us in verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like a smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. There was nobody that day who was confused about who was God and who wasn't and whether God was glorious and majestic and powerful and had authority. And it tells us in verse 20, the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. The people trembled with fear at the sight of the glory of God on the mountain because they recognized in their sin they could not survive in God's presence. The earth shook, the lightning and the thunder lit up the heavens. God gave the Ten Commandments and three times God told Moses, you tell the people, do not come in here. Do not come close except by the way that I have made. And the people said, no problem. We don't want to get close. Exodus 20, verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will keep you, will be with you and keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. People, God is holy. And when any person or any society lose sight of God's holiness and they start seeking to live independent from him, everything around them begins to crumble. And they become very aware of their sin. And they become very aware of their need for a mediator. Because once you see the holiness of God, you realize you could not survive in his presence. There's a separation there for a reason, a distance. God revealed his glory, power, majesty, and authority, and the people trembled with fear. And I assure you today that if God were to peel back the heavens and give you a glimpse of his glorious holiness right now, every single one of us would be pressing our faces against the floor. You could not sit or stand in the presence of that glory. 
Moses said, God has shown you his presence so your fear, your respect, your honor, your reverence for him will keep you from sinning. But in their sin, they had no desire to come close. Instead, they cried out for Moses to go for them. Moses, you go up there. We don't want to get close. The people sensed their need for a mediator, somebody to stand in the gap for them between a holy God and sinful man. And people, it's no different today. For all of us are sinners, separated from a holy God in a state of spiritual death without Jesus. Paul told the people in Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, there is no exception. And he went on to tell them in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Separation from God. God is life. Separation from him in any form is the very definition of death. Which is why Paul described the spiritual state of the Gentiles who were still in their sins like this in Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember, he told them at that time, at the time when you were separate from Christ, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope and without God in the world. People, that was me. That's where I was living without Jesus. That's you without Jesus. That's the world without him. We are excluded from Christ, separate from the promises to Israel. We are foreigners to the covenants of promise. We are without hope and we are without God in the world. And if I was to die when I was still in that sinful state, I'd have been put away from God forever in a Christless hell. Hell is not in the Bible to scare people. It's to make us aware of the reality of sin and eternity. And there are only two options, heaven or hell. People feel that separation. They know when they're not right with God. They may mask it over in a dozen different ways, but they know they're not right with God. And in their heart of hearts, many of those people try to get right with God, and they pursue it in so many different ways because we think that we can do this on our own. So they try religion or good works or getting baptized or joining a church or a host of other ways. And every one of those ways fails miserably And we are left in our sins, separated from God and lost because mankind is powerless to save himself. And you wouldn't want to be saved by your own efforts because it wouldn't do anything for your sin. And the last place you'd want to be in your sin is in the presence of God. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, quoting from Deuteronomy 4, verse 24, our God is a consuming fire. Everybody at Sinai saw that fire come down, and God was in it, a consuming fire. And if you were to come into God's presence still in your sins, you wouldn't be able to stand even for an instant. The fire of God's holiness would consume you instantly. For sin cannot remain in his presence. But here's the difference Jesus makes through his death, burial, and resurrection. Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Romans 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. You see, this is why the writer of Hebrews, which is such a great overview of the Old Old Covenant, the Old Testament, was careful to draw the contrast between the people when they saw God on the mountain at Sinai and the Christian who is in Christ when he's going to see God at Mount Zion in the heavenly Jerusalem. There is a huge contrast. In fact, he put it like this in Hebrews 12, verse 18. You, who are Christians now, have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, referencing that occasion at Sinai. You haven't come to a trumpet blast or to a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. The people saw the glory and majesty and power and authority of God on the mountain in that fire and they trembled with fear. But the writer of Hebrews said, that's not you now. You're not under that old covenant. You have a new covenant. And Jesus is that mediator. And look at the difference. Verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The first one murdered, whose blood was in the ground, and God said, his blood still speaks. Jesus' blood speaks greater than that. People, we don't need Moses on a Mount Sinai. We have Jesus on Mount Zion. We don't need Moses as our mediator. We have Jesus as our mediator. We don't live under the terms of an old covenant. We are under the new covenant in his blood. And we don't need a trumpet blast to let us know that we can come to God. Jesus said, I'm bringing you to God. That's the difference. That's the difference Jesus makes. First Timothy two, verse five, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. You see, this is why Jude, the Lord's brother, wrote with such confidence and joy about the difference Jesus makes. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore, amen. He's able to keep you from stumbling. You're not gonna fall short of this if you're in Christ. He's gonna bring you there. He's gonna present you before his glorious presence. He's literally gonna cause you to stand in the presence of God and you'll be there without fault, without blemish, clean, pure, spotless, washed in his blood. And you're gonna stand there with great joy, exceedingly great joy and gladness. And people, you have never known a joy like this that's waiting.
You've never known a joy like this. You're going to be standing in the presence of God. And you're going to see Jesus on the throne. You are going to see his face. You'll know exactly what he looks like. You're going to see the color of his eyes. And the sound of his voice when he speaks your name. And you're going to see him standing there with those nail holes in his hands and in his feet and the spear wound in his side. You're going to see all of that. Jesus said, I'm going to cause you to stand in the glory of my presence without fault and with great joy. But people, you have never known a joy like you're going to know when those nail-scarred hands wrap around you and draw you in close and you are actually hugging Jesus Christ, the King of glory. And you're going to be with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, never to be separated again. And thousands upon thousands of angels are going to celebrate that moment along with all the saints who are gathered with you from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. And you are going to know the meaning of great joy. That's the difference Jesus makes. And Jesus is the only one who can do this. Which is why Jude took no confidence in being Jesus' half-brother in the flesh. His joy would come from knowing Jesus as God, Savior, and Lord. Which is why he was very careful to say, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Jesus, you're gonna see the glory and you're gonna give him that glory. You're gonna witness his majesty, his greatness, and you're gonna proclaim that majesty. You're gonna acknowledge his power, his strength, his might, and his dominion to reign as king of kings and lord of lords. And you're gonna see and acknowledge his authority, all the power, but also the right to exercise that power and to bring to completion everything he has promised you because he has all the authority. This is the true Jesus. No one else can do this for you. Buddha can't do it for you. Muhammad can't do it for you. The false Jesuses of the cults can't do it. And all the human effort, human goodness, human attempts, human religions cannot do this for you. And without Jesus, you wouldn't want him to. Because you see, all of those things can't do a thing for your sin. And you don't want to be in his presence still in your sin. But in Christ, you don't have to worry because he's going to keep you from stumbling. He's going to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. People, that's the difference Jesus makes, which is why he's the one and only. God, Savior, and Lord. To him be the glory 
of majesty, power, and authority. That's the difference we're remembering right here today in communion. Jesus said, this bread is my body, and this cup is my blood. But it's what he said next that has meant the most to me. This is for you. This is for you. So as often as you eat it, remember me. The one who keeps you from stumbling and is going to present you in my glorious presence without fault and with great joy. God, what a gift. What a gift. Thank you, Lord, for using Jude to record this for us. This is the difference you make. Sinners who were excluded and couldn't even come close enough to touch a mountain on which you descended are now going to stand in your glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Never to be separated again. No wonder you said through the apostle, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind is conceived of what God has prepared for those who love him. We're remembering that today because this doesn't come without great sacrifice. Jesus, you died that we might live. And as we break this bread and as we drink this cup, I hope you're honored by our remembrance. We praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen.